1: Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brad Heaston. Now that the Assyrian Empire has become one of the major players in world history at this point, I thought it would be best to do a special episode on the Assyrian War Machine. It's good to change things up a bit. Recently, I've been challenged by all the names of the kings coming and going, and they all seem to have those similar J names. It's definitely time for a change-up. Now, when Elisha dies in the next episode or two, the age of the fire prophets comes to an end, but this age isn't going to end quietly. But when it goes, we will head into Israel's zenith and fall. There will be some constants in this era. The messianic prophets will rise and dominate the landscape, even during the times of wicked kings, and another constant will remain, a dark horde over the horizon as well. The Assyrians will threaten to engulf the whole world with their conquest. In this episode, we're going to cover the Assyrian army, and why the Assyrians are so feared, and some background into these guys, which will give us a bigger perspective headed forward. I'm joined in this episode by a fellow biblical history student and listener of the podcast, Joshua Taylor. Joshua Taylor from Oregon contacted me, and we sat down over a coffee, that's what you do in Seattle, Washington. We shared stories, talked about biblical history life, and we prayed for each other. I found Josh to be the real deal, a man touched by God who loves his family. Over coffee, we discussed some of the recent topics, and since he was in the military, I thought I would ask Josh if he'd be interested in having a recorded call talking about the Assyrian army. So Josh, please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, of course, Brett. Um... Well, you know, I'm a field artillery officer while wearing my, my U.S. Army hat. Um, and I've spent uh, six and a half years uh, on the fire support side and uh, the past two and a half on the fire direction and battery side. So, as to not kind of complicate things too much, on the fire support side, I was responsible for, for planning and coordinating echelons of fire, uh, fire support coordination measures. Basically, uh, deconflicting a, a three-dimensional battlefield, you know, depending on requirements of the mission and available assets uh, that are available to me. So, you know, I, I've had uh, various uh, armaments at, at my disposal, you know, ranging really from you know a 60 millimeter mortar, um, which is like your, your basic infantry um, <laughs> artillery. Basically, if you want if you want to consider, it, it's like David in his his uh, his sling. Um, to to B-1 bombers. So, um, you know, th- this really requires a great amount of responsibility and, and really the study of, of battlefield strategy and tactics. And the fire direction and, and battery side has, has really allowed me to, to get up close and personal with various different pieces of equipment, like the uh, uh, Mike uh, 777, uh, 155 millimeter, and, and the, uh, I should say M, sorry, Mike is a, you know, military vernacular, but the, the 119 Alpha 3, which is a 105-millimeter howitzer, you know, to, to put these pieces of equipment in, uh, you know, to paint a picture for those, you know, listening, the, the 777 can put a 100-pound 100 mi- 100 round, um, you know, a shell, you know, 100, 155 millimeters within really three, three meters of its target from roughly about 80 miles away. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty impressive if, if you ask me
1: wow josh it's like i can hear the artillery shells going off i mean it's it's a crazy detail and amazing um let me pull this back a bit for the for the non-military listeners um or, or those who just uh, don't have as much uh, uh background in the artillery or the military what is can you tell us the purpose of the artillery well
0: sure uh... But, you know they give you a textbook answer um, you know something that was kind of drilled into me uh, <laughs> during schooling you know the, the the mission of the field artillery is is to destroy neutralize or suppress the enemy by cannon rocket and missile fire and to help integrate um, all fire support assets into combined arms operations and so you know that's that's the the textbook answer but you know honestly um, the purpose of, of artillery is to really kind of cause chaos on the battlefield um, and really disrupt rhythms um, to, uh, you know, to, to cause the enemy, whoever they may be, um, to have to really, really second guess their actions and and um, and what they're going to do next. Um, and, you know, things are changing even as we speak uh, as far as, like, the role of the field of artillery, um, you know, in in future battles, but uh, probably not a a good topic for for today.
1: (laughs) Probably not. Um, So coming from a military background, with your experience and the expertise in the artillery, you got to be extremely qualified to speak about the expertise of the Assyrian army, since they have come to be known as artillery experts by military standards, at least of their day. And before we go into the grid of the Assyrian organization and military, let's give a bit of cultural background. The Assyrians were an empire on the rise. They they believed in fear, projection, and terror, and they were horrible when it came to the treatment of their enemies. If a city didn't surrender, they destroyed it. They truly believed in corporal punishment. They did have some cultural and artistic expertise, but most of it was used to express and leave to history a story of gore and intimidation. Most of their artifacts express the destructive nature of their military campaigns and the inexhaustible blood that they shed. They worshipped a variety of gods, and I have to point out the god of war was way too common in their worship. At this point in our podcast, they have taken Babylon, Tyre was now paying tribute, and Damascus has fallen. Israel was wide open for conquest. In the future, the Assyrian army will march as far south as Jerusalem and even Egypt. Their focus was on their military, and fear of them stretched wide. Let's cover their armies. Josh, let's chat about the Assyrian war machine, and then we're going to conclude with an interesting question. Does Israel have a chance against this newly reformed army under Adad Narai III? Well, Robert,
0: right. I mean, you really start to paint a, just a, a crazy visual in my head. I mean, you, you got to think about the Assyrians' You know, they created the world's first great army and the world's first great empire. You know, this was, this was held together by two factors. Number one, their superior abilities in siege warfare and their uh, reliance on sheer unadulterated terror. I mean, it was a Syrian policy always to demand that examples be made of those who resisted them. This included deportations of entire peoples and horrific physical punishments. I mean, one inscription from a temple in the city of Nimrod records the fate of the leaders of the city of uh, Suru, which was part of the Babylonian Empire on the Euphrates River. You know who re- who rebelled from them. So and and were were reconquered by. Um, now here I'm. I'm gonna follow follow your footsteps here and just totally mangle this this name. But King Ashur Asher uh Close. Here here's what it read. I, I built a pillar at the city gate and I flayed all the chief men who had revolted and I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I walled up inside the pillar, some I impaled upon the pillar on stakes. I mean, come on. That's just intense. You know, I mean, you know, some, punishments, some punishments were, were not uncommon. Um, and, uh, you know, furthermore, inscriptions recording these vicious acts of of retribution were displayed throughout the the empire to serve as as a warning, really. If this officially uh, sanctioned cruelty seems to have really led, um, I mean, seems to have have had the the opposite effect. I mean, sometimes, really, if you think about it, because though the Assyrians and their army were uh, were respected and feared, uh, they were most of all hated, and the subjects of their empire were in, in almost constant state of rebellion, um, it just it, it, it's its just a crazy way of, of ruling. I mean, I couldn't imagine leaders of today trying to, to rule that way. Uh, can you, Brett?
1: Yeah, this was a horrible, horrible time to live. I, I, we see all types of movies. I think of Braveheart, and you can see how horrible it was in Scotland in a certain time frame. Um, it, other movies kind of will give you a taste of horrible time frames when um, oppressive nations are in uh, overruling states and such. But this is, this is bad. I mean, the Assyrians and, and uh, the terror projection, um, the fear of the atrocities, it's intense. There is no lack of material on their terror tactics and atrocities. So, Josh, what did their army look like?
0: Well, Brett, the, the Syrian kings of his time um, had at their disposal quite literally the largest, most well-trained, and best-equipped fighting force in the history of the world up to that time. You know, I think the historian Paul Kharvasek describes it how the army would have appeared to an opponent opponent roughly in kind of mid seven hundred, you know, BC. Um, in, in this following passage, so I'm going to go ahead and read this for you. He would have seen in the center of the formation, the main body of infantry, compact phalanxes of spearmen, their weapon points glittering in the sun, each arranged in 10 files of 20 ranks. He would have marveled and perhaps trembled at the discipline and precision of their maneuvering, a contrast Relatively freewheeling manner of previous armies, for the reforms had introduced a highly developed and effective command structure. Infantrymen fought in squads of 10, each headed by an NCO, and grouped into companies of 5 to 20 squads under the command of a captain. They were well protected and even better equipped, for Assyria was wielding the very first iron armies, iron swords, iron spear blades, iron helmets, and even iron scales sewn as armor on their tunics. Bronze weaponry offered no real contest. This new material, which was cheaper, harder, less brittle, could be ground sharper and kept a keener edge for far longer. Iron ore is not found in the North mesopotamian heartland so every effort had been had been made to put all nearby sources of the material under assyrian control assyrian spearmen were more mobile than their predecessors too rather than sandals they now wore the assyrian military invention that was arguably one of the most influential and long lasting of all the army boot brett can you believe it in this case, the boots were knee-high leather footwear, thick-soled. They um, they've been hobnailed nailed and with iron plates inserted to protect the shins, which made it possible for the first time to fight on any terrain, however rough or wet, mountain or marsh, and in any season, winter or summer. This was the first all-weather, all-year army. These guys were the real deal. They didn't mess around. They meant business.
1: So, Josh, that's crazy. Like, you told me about the iron armies, the, you know, the iron breastplates and the, the iron swords and spear points. But when you said army boot, I'm thinking that's the practical win. You know, these guys, that they took over their known world in a way. Not all of it, but most of their known world. And their greatest invention was the army boot. It's just amazing.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, it, you gotta think as this way. I mean, like for practical reasons. I mean, th- these guys were uh, they they lived, they breathed, they died, they sweat. War. I mean, if there's if there's you know, I mean, yeah, you know, three hundred, right? I mean, that was a great movie. And, you know, those guys were pretty awesome. But the Syrians were basically the, the start of, of what we now know to be your, your modern military. Um, I mean, for them to, to have, you know, squads and squad tactics. I mean, we weren't even using those tactics in the Civil War, for crying out loud. We were lining up men with muskets. And, you know, shooting, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, these guys were, these guys were on top of it. They had to figure it figured out. And you, you, I could only imagine sitting around a campfire, you know, or, or a fire, you know, back then, you know, cooking up their, their meal that they skewered for the day. And just some guy just talking about how his feet hurt. And then, I mean, just think about it. You've got nothing else to do but to get better at what you do. These guys were true experts. In their field and craft, uh, if you were facing the Syrian Army at this time, you didn't stand a chance. They're like, "Hey, we're just gonna become the best army in the world, so we're just gonna go ahead and." I mean, because one of the, one of the you know one of the first things you do as any military force is you are always making position improvements. Yeah, and so you know, I w- I would imagine that what happened was they were just camped out, and someone was like, hey man, my feet are killing me, you know, and they're sitting over there, they're roasting some like, I mean, probably not duck, but you know, they're probably skewered something, and they're sitting there by the fire talking about how they're gonna throw some, you know, some gigantic fireballs over the walls of of these, these en- enemies of theirs, and someone, you know, someone just like wrapped one of the, you know, skins You know, like a a lizard skin or something around their foot, tied some twine around it. And like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. All right. So at this point, the
1: Assyrians, they probably lost Karkar and they failed against Aram many times over. But like the Romans, they never stopped attacking and they never gave up. And they broke through the walls finally of Damascus, ruining the height of the Aramean kingdom. Most historians point to their ability to perfect siege warfare
0: in this age. So, Brett, uh, it's a really good time to really point out the Lake Kish write ups um, and how they would besiege Samaria for three years and, and how they, they weren't afraid to take on anybody. So, more than anything else, the Assyrian army excelled at siege warfare it was probably the first force to carry a separate corps of engineers. Hmm. Uh, you know, assault was their, their principal tactic against the heavily fortified cities of the, of the Near East. They developed a great variety of methods for uh, breaching enemy walls. Sappers were employed to under, uh, undermine walls or to light fires underneath wooden gates. And ramps were thrown up to allow men to go over the ramparts or to attempt a breach on the upper section of a wall where it was the the least thick. Mobile ladders allowed attackers to cross moats and quickly assault any point defenses. These operations were were covered by masses of archers. I mean, who were the core of the infantry? But the pride of the Assyrian siege train were their engines, okay? These were multi storied wooden towers with four wheels and a turret on top and and one or sometimes two battering rams at the base I mean they had per- basically perfected what they still use in the middle middle ages you know I mean back in the times you know when they had like uh, you, you see on um on vikings right i mean these guys had it figured out you know the, the best documented assyrian siege however was that of a city of of lachish sennacherib like every other assyrian king was proud of his military conquest and had then depicted in detail in reliefs which lie in the corridors of his palace nineveh the seas of lachish in 701 B.C. began, as such military con- uh, contests often did, with the Assyrian envoys riding up to the city wall to demand surrender. The people were told that if they complied, they would be treated well, while if they resisted, they would suffer the common fate of all who had resisted them before. Even though it was well known that the Assyrians showed no mercy, the defenders of Lachish chose to take their chances and hold their city. Anglim describes the progression of the siege once the envoys returned to the Assyrian encampment. So the city was first surrounded to prevent escape. Next, the archers were brought forward. Under the cover of giant shields, they cleared the, the battlements. The king then used the, the try and the Assyrian method of building an earthen ramp close to the enemy wall, covering it with flat stone and wheeling forward a machine that combined a siege tower with a battering ram. The Assyrians then staged a two-prong assault. The tower was wheeled up the ramp, and the ram was brought to bear against the midsection of the enemy wall. Archers in the tower cleared the battlements, while bowmen, on the ground pushed up close to the wall to cover an infantry assault with scaling ladders. The fighting appears to have been intense and the assault probably took several days. Yet, eventually, the Syrians entered the city. Archaeology has revealed that the place was looted and hundreds of men and women and children were put to the sword. The relief of the siege shows prisoners begging for mercy at the feet of Sennacherib. Others, less fortunate, perhaps the city's leaders, have been impaled upon stakes. Man, do anything you want, but don't impale me with the stake. Come on.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Screw some work of the Assyrians.
1: So, yeah, thanks, Josh, for kind of covering their organization, the military, um, in that siege of Lachish, which will come later. Um That's going to be a a pretty well-documented archaeological event. Um, Yeah, so we'll cover more of that later. Um, So this leads to a big question. This is what military thinkers do, right? They ask the hard question. Or maybe it's just the scenario question. Here's my question for you, Josh. Does Israel stand a chance against these guys? Josh, what's your take? Does Israel have a chance against these organized, boot wearing, terrorizing, atrocity committing, very well organized military machine of the Assyrians?
0: Well, you know, well, well Brett, from the military perspective, I mean, absolutely not. Um, Israel has no chance against this world empire and its army. But from a spiritual perspective, all things are possible with God. I mean, just think of it—all the amazing things that, because of the Lord's promise to His people of Israel, that they were able to accomplish. I mean, even single men and his arm and his armor bearer, um, and Gideon taking on and. With, with with 300, uh, over a hundred thousand troops, um, all things are possible. And, you know, just, the the times of, of bringing fire, prophets bringing fire down from heaven. Um, it, it it's, it, it's no surprise that, uh, um, the, Israel, the, the Israelites have, have a
1: chance hmm. yeah it's like the greater the odds the greater the miracle come on yeah and I mean the odds will be so stacked against when Israel falls Judah and Jerusalem will stand alone I've even seen a map of um, the Assyrian Empire, and it, I can't remember if it includes Egypt at this point or not, but there's this entire mass, and Jerusalem is a, literally an island within their empire that stands alone under Hezekiah. And that's going to be the one one scene, and when we get there, it's going to be um, most incredible when we think of God destroying armies. Um, he's done it before, though. I mean, there's tons of history of God destroying armies and, and the supernatural. Um, but this one, these Assyrians, they're they're fully loaded.
0: Yeah, it's uh, they, they came with a full payload. I mean, uh, <clears throat> as I just kind of look into this a little bit more, you know, prep of the episode. I mean, you, you, you gotta you gotta think about you know uh, facing uh a bunch of you know delta squad you know like seal team 6 you know uh, i mean because of, because of just the just the basicness of of military you know functionality back in the day i mean people have been doing things the same way forever um they didn't do they, you know they didn't really do things that different. Uh, they they fought the same way for you know, they're throwing rocks at each other for crying out loud. I mean <laughs> I mean rocks. You know what I mean? Swingers. Um Yeah, it is yeah, I mean they they were very they were very effective, but when you're going up against um, iron and shields, I mean you want to talk about iron sharpening iron, um, they forced innovation when it came to, it came to warfare. Uh, the, the, their tactics, I mean, without getting into a ton of detail, um, of their shield, bears, and the, the bowmen, and the archers, and the way that they covered for one another, and the way that they, they fought cohesively with one another, um, it's kind of unbeatable. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, in, in Jerusalem, when they do stand alone against Assyria, I mean, it's going to be at least 10 to 1. I mean, so they've got this numerical superiority as well. Um, so so thanks, Josh, for joining us for this episode, A Message to Kings. Um, I can't say thank you enough um, for, you know, just contacting me and um, just hanging out, and getting to know you, um, and then just actually th- I thank you because you did a lot of the research for this episode as well and, and, uh, and sharing your expertise uh, with the audience. so um, and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of message to Kings. If anyone wants to continue in our conversation um, on the Podomatic website, there's a uh, area to leave comments or you can email us directly at message to Kings at gmail.com and Josh and I would love to continue the conversation. Thanks, everyone. (music) Testing, testing, testing. And they broke through the walls, finally, of Damascus, ruining the height of the Aramean kingdom. Most Hysterians... Wow. Most Hysteri... <laughs> <laughs> can you believe us? So at this point in our podcast, they've taken Babylon. Tyre was now paying tribute. And London, I mean Damascus, has fallen. That's just stupid.
0: <laughs> I can not imagine... Leaders of today trying to, to rule that way. Uh, can you, Brett?
1: No, no, no. This is this is a horrible age when it comes to violence. Oh. Um, so there's no lack of material. Material. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no lack of material. Gosh.
0: <laughs> so that. That lizard skin right on
1: the bottom, uh, right to their sandals. And there we go. There was the first boot. The first boot. Right? The the listeners in England, I guess, say the first boot.
0: It's the first boot, man.
1: The guys in Germany. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see how this sounded. Um, on the Potomatic website, there's a uh, area to leave comments, or you can email us directly at message at gmail.com, and Josh and I would love to continue the conversation. Thanks, everyone, and good night. <laughs> I'll ditch a good night.